Hi everyone, welcome to Totally Dissolved, where we discuss all things coffee through the lens of education. I'm Kathy Hilberg. And I'm Bronwyn Serna. With the help of subject matter experts, we explore different facets of specialty coffee to educate ourselves and you. Thanks for joining us on our journey in an education in caffeination. Hello, what is up, Kathy? Oh, not much. Just sipping on some coffee. This is so satisfying. I really love that we've made this kind of a ritual, a new beginning of episode ritual. Serving coffee into your cup. I like it too. I hope you all like the ASMR because I do. My slurps. Welcome to episode three of season four of Totally Dissolved. <laughs> we are continuing our Southeast Asian tour of coffee and woo, 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 woo. today's guest is from Vietnam. A very, very Excellent coffee person. Yes. Like one of the best. Exactly. In every sense of that. And I'm so very excited to interview this human because they're one of my favorite coffee humans. Yeah, me too. Just a a joy of a human and very knowledgeable and skilled and kind. Yes. And also knows delicious coffee. Yes. And especially Vietnamese coffee. What do we have in our cups, Kathy? We've got some copper cow Vietnamese style coffee. Yes. By style, I mean it's like a Vietnamese latte is what they call it. Yes, Cafe Sua. Um, so copper cow. I don't know if this is how they've always done their coffee, but as long as I've known about copper cow, they've done these like yeah, the so basically like the drip ish. kit. Yeah, the drip kit. So instant-ish. You, it's those cool, I think Kalita makes them or is one of the manufacturers of them, but it's like a little thing that like sits on your cup and holds like almost like a tea bag. Yes. Suspended above quite. your cup. Not quite. It's, it's heavy, heavier duty and it comes with the coffee already in it and then you pour water into it. So it's a pour over, but it's and pre-ground came, and all and that. It came with single-serve sweetened condensed milk, yeah, which so, makes it delicious. So we made it like concentrated because that's like was the Vietnamese style, and then yeah, it comes with little packets of sweetened condensed. Not a true fin, but for those for my Vietnamese coffee friends, please teach me how to use one of your delicious and amazing coffee brewing tools, because I am I'm not good at it. <laughs> I can do all the other pour over stuff, but I am not good at at your style. This is really good though. Yes. It it's so sweet. It's dessert. Yeah, it's dessert. It's we're not talking about flavor notes here. We're talking about coffee with sugar and cream yeah, it's and delicious. the delights of what all brought us into coffee in the first place, which I'm going to just assume for everyone was sweet coffee. Totally. Yeah. Mochas. Mm, I had one today. Bottled Frappuccinos that came in a flat from Costco that my mom used to buy for my brother. 
Yes. And then I got it. Roomba Mocha Frap was my favorite way back when Starbucks had that. It was good. Nice. Um, I used to drink frappes from Gloria Jean's coffee at the mall. Do you remember that place? Oh, yeah. I also got food poisoning from <laughs> I was never a Gloria Jean's fan, though. I only was because it was sugary and it was at the mall and it was blended and, yeah. Ontario Mills, you know? Yeah. Not but, a great mall, but it is a mall. But this coffee, this is how, this is what I grew up on, and this is also what is very, like, for me, and I feel for a lot of our listeners that kind of understand and can visualize or imagine Southeast Asian coffee, this is kind of what comes to mind, is like a sweetened, yeah, d- like very strong coffee with sweetened condensed milk, and it's delicious and it's ubiquitous, and how can you not love it? Yeah, totally. I think yeah. in general, most cultures, yeah. coffee with some sort of additive is like pretty standard like middle eastern coffee it's like lots of spices and sugar mm-hmm. and yeah yeah that's pretty but common for southeast asia is lots of sugary milk goodness because exactly. it's delicious it's very delicious so stay tuned we'll be discussing vietnamese coffee with with will frith will frith stay tuned Hey, Will. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Really good to see y'all. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. So today we are talking about Vietnamese coffee, but before we get into that conversation, can you please introduce yourself and let us know what's in your cup? Sure. Um, I'm Will Frith. And I go by both names, depending on whatever your mood is. Um, Close friends call me Frith. And then most coffee and work-related people call me Will. I don't mind either. Um, And I am currently in Ho Chi Minh City, a.k.a. Saigon, Vietnam, enjoying a nice iced pour-over of it's a mix of a couple of samples. So my home drinking coffee ends up being all the samples from the lab. Mystery um, blend. We love that's that. kind of fun. Uh, I do know that it's mostly a Guatemala Bella Carmona pea berry. Um, maybe a little too light for most people because it's a sample, but it's <laughs> just fine for an ice pour over. Um, and then there's probably a couple of other random coffees mixed in there. I don't pay attention to the the proportion that much. <laughs> nice. Amazing. Welcome. Thank you for being here. It is morning in Vietnam. It is evening it's, here. It's yes. Eight oh nine a.m. Yes, you're yeah, in the future, which I love. Other side of the world. We love that. <laughs> Global podcast. That's right. Um. So. Let's jump in. Um, it's an exciting time for Southeast Asian specialty coffee. We've talked to somebody about 
coffee from the Philippines already this season. Um, so we're excited to learn a little bit more about Vietnamese coffee. So can you give us a little insight and the listeners some insight into what makes Vietnamese coffee unique and your perspective on why it's finally getting some recognition in the specialty coffee industry? Oh, well, um, it goes, it goes back to, of course, French occupation, um, French, uh, I think French missionaries brought in Vietnam in the 1850s, brought in Arabica coffee. Um, we suspect it was some sort of Bourbon and, um, they just kind of planted it everywhere they wanted to try. And it was mostly for their own, uh, local supply of coffee. Um, and then Robusta got introduced about 30 years later, um, maybe more like 40. And then Robusta, because of how easy and resilient it is as a plant, um, became kind of the dominant species here. And so that that would be a part of really what I'd say sets traditional Vietnamese coffee apart from most other places is that early on they developed taste for Robusta. And it's uh, very kind of loud and proud and out there, unlike just about anywhere else where if there's Robusta in it, it's either like a traditional Italian espresso blend at like 10% or it's an instant coffee where they don't even mention um, species. And so it's in Vietnam, I'd say what sets that apart is that they're very proudly um, drinking Robusta and saying so. And, um, but in the modern context, it's really kind of exciting and, and different. I mean, I would say that the, the, the diversity of potential coffee experiences here, it's a lot larger than what I would say anywhere else is. Um, it's, you've got everything from your super top shelf, um, high end, high scoring, super light roasted uh, Arabica coffees in fancy, modern, beautiful cafes, all the way down to kind of like sidewalk, street stall, pre-made coffee, just mixed up with some condensed milk um, and everything in between. And so there's just this huge variety of potential coffee experiences. And that's what I would say sets, sets apart the Vietnamese modern coffee scene. So I, I would say now there's, because of the influence of the specialty coffee I'll just call it kind of the third wavy style coffee entering the Vietnam market. Um, they've, there's been a huge uptake, not just by people who want to drink Arabica coffee, but by the Robusta scene itself. And so we, we have much more fine Robusta here than I think anywhere else is, uh, is promoting or producing and a lot more people leaning into that sort of overall profile. Um, and if you've experienced fine Robusta, it's a totally different animal than specialty Arabica. And, you know, the, the people who are on that side of the fence are, you know, very proud about that. It's, it's nothing like Arabica and this is what we celebrate about it. And so it's just like a, if you want to peek into like a bizarro world of what coffee could be in an alternate dimension. Um, Vietnam is a really good place to to catch a peek of that. I love that. That's so interesting too, because looking at because when when I first 
kind of, I wouldn't say experience Vietnamese coffee in Vietnam because I haven't been to Vietnam yet. Um, on a extended level, like a lot of that type of experience, just looking at it from an outsider's perspective, like you're seeing, especially just with Southeast Asian coffee in general, like you see so many more young people getting involved, first of all, and mm -hmm. having a lot more, like like you said, third wavy style cafes popping up in all of these developing cities, so to speak, and developing countries. Um, and it's such an interesting mix where you have young people advocating for like these different types of cafe experiences it amongst the midst of like traditional experiences you know you have your aunties and uncles outside on the sidewalk cafes drinking their traditional traditional coffees that are sweetened you know everywhere in southeast asia and i think that makes it super not only super special but just the intersection of traditional culture, modern culture, and like continuing to keep all of that alive at the same time. For sure. And, and I would say I'd add on to that and say that there's, as a result of them living side by side for a few years now, now there's really interesting mashups happening and um, go in both directions. People kind of taking Arabica and putting it into a traditional context and creating something a little bit different and unique and then vice versa with Robusta putting it in sort of a more high-end context and treating it I wouldn't say like a third wave coffee bar in San Francisco but treating it like a like a high-end cigar bar would do um, just kind of treating it in that way um, like whiskey aficionado style coffee consumption, which is pretty cool. That is super cool. You've had so many roles in specialty coffee and in your current role as a leader, collaborator, and entrepreneur in Vietnam. Um, yep. It's, I think, very cool and also very special. And you've been an advocate of Vietnamese coffee and have built relationships for as long as I've known you, it, with not only coffee farmers there, but all over the world. But specifically, I think what's very special in your, in your sense is like you, you stayed in Vietnam, you went to Vietnam and continued to really advocate for these farmers and develop these relationships with them um, and really. really bring out specialty Robusta. Um, with with not only the farmers, but the importers, buyers, and roasters in Vietnam. Um, can you talk about building coffee, your project, as well as like your cafe there that you had established with Ed Liebrich, one of our mm -hmm. old colleagues back in Seattle, and um, your approach to bringing more education and new perspective about Vietnamese coffee to the masses? For sure. Um, I'm, I'm going to take you back in time, even though I'm in the future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to take you back about five years. And um, when I originally had made 
the plan to come to Vietnam this time. I, I've lived here for stints of like two and three years on and off since like 2004. And, you know, in the beginning, I like kind of had really struggled to figure out what I wanted to do. And then um, it wasn't until I moved back and ended up in Washington State that I got into specialty coffee and then everything, as they say, would be history after that. Um, but then now that at that point, I finally had some something to bring. And so in 2013, I moved to Vietnam the first time and kind of struggled a little bit as a consultant. And, you know, a, what maybe there's a name for this position, one who spends their own life savings trying to develop something. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I really I, I had trouble finding my footing. Um, I was inspiring and spreading the message um, and, you know, getting inspired and helping a lot of people on their paths. But I was having trouble finding something that would stick for me. Um, and so I ended up taking a position um, back in the States and moved back here, moved back and ended up in Portland for a few years. And um, I was a little bit like, I was excited about the opportunity, the new opportunity, but I was also like really just kind of sad about having to leave behind the work in Vietnam. And so I would use whatever time and resources I could to keep going with that, um, but just remotely or like for eight days at a time when I had to have vacation. Um, but uh, in 2018, I, got approached by a former collaborator and student of mine to open a roastery. And I didn't want to just like come to Vietnam and have a have a roasting company. I felt like there was still a lot of work to do with community building and um, just offering, you know, some sort of education and resources. Um, and so I pitched to him the idea of opening a co-roasting space. And we came up with the name building. Partially, it was I didn't realize like how how cool that name would end up being. It was mainly because I just wanted to see the word building on the side of the building. And <laughs> love it. I just thought it would be really funny. And, you know, nobody would be any wiser to it. Um, and so we went along for, with that joke for a while. We had a we had a co-roasting space. We had lots of resources for rent. Um, but we were just having trouble really monetizing it. I wanted it to be accessible. So we kept our price points a little bit lower than maybe we should have. Um, and so we started doing white label roasting for a few brands in town. And then, you know, of course the, the pandemic hit and everybody was very rightfully afraid of the plague. And so we had to pivot because suddenly we couldn't have people in our space. We had to pivot to becoming a roasting company, <laughs> um, which is, is ironically not what I wanted to do, but it turned out to be the more rewarding thing. It put me, you know, it, it put me in front of uh, like regular consumers who wanted good coffee again. Um, whereas in the previous iteration, I was only talking to people who wanted to work in specialty coffee. Um, and as you guys know very well, as trainers and educators, like, you know, that's a very narrow band of the population. Mm -hmm. And um, the conversations start getting very samey after a while. Um, Definitely. And so 
talking to normal consumers and getting back to the basics and like really like seeing people's eyes light up for real. Um, not just, you know, what's in it for me, but like, wow, I'm genuinely curious about this new thing. And um, that just really like drove it home to me like, okay, this is my place. So we, we made a change in branding. We added the word coffee to the end of the word building on the building. And then, <laughs> um, and we became a coffee roasting company. And I was, I was very determined to bring, uh, it's even now our slogan as cheesy as it sounds, it's really sincere. It's better coffee for more people. And what we really want to do is kind of dispense with words like specialty and micro lot and things that I would say are at this point in history are a little bit exclusive um, and bring in much more inclusivity and just meet people where they're at and try to bring them along on the improving your daily coffee quality sort of tip. And so now what we're doing is, you know, I've developed relationship, very organic and natural relationships with some, with the producers that we're working with, um, and have just tried my best to buy as much coffee from, from them as possible. And, you know, in order to do that, we have to make a very approachable, like mid-level style coffee. So I would say building coffees, main offering list is very mid as the kids would say and, <laughs> um and that's actually a very good thing um and we do, of course i've i've got to entertain myself and so we'll have like a nice um Yergachev or something um on the offerings list we've always got a nice kenya um and we play with blends a lot because i for me blends are way more fun than separating and reducing something to a single taste note um, so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun in blend land, um, just trying to create really exciting things that are on a more accessible and inclusive tip. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's continued growing. So I think we're successful, uh, question mark. Um, and yeah, now we're a full fledged roasting company. And I think that that's, that's an exciting space to be because now the producers that I've been working with all this time know that I have skin in the game. I'm purchasing coffee from them. I'm not just preaching the values of, you know, this wide world specialty market that you don't see, but just trust me, it's out there. Um, now I'm buying coffee and I'm, you know, really like putting my risk where my mouth is and uh, just trying to push it along in in a natural sort of way so I don't know if I even answered the original question on my tangent. a little bit okay. yeah Great. so I have a question about your coffee offering so are you offering like a mix of arabica and robusta or are you mostly doing like arabica from um, places or like what does your menu look like and it's it's a blend. Um, cool. So the cafe, the cafe and the roasting company are two different entities, and we did that on purpose. Um, I feel like treating all markets as the same is a little bit misguided. Um, I used to do that for sure, um, but I felt like what what this market really needs is an increase in per capita consumption. Um, and because right now it's like a third of what the average U.S. Uh, per capita 
coffee consumption is. Mm -hmm. And with everyone or mostly everyone drinking Robusta, there's no way to increase consumption. Um, you have one cup of Robusta, you're set for the day. You're not, you don't want any more caffeine. <laughs> um, so, you know, so how was I going to increase consumption? And so with the cafe, Bell, we decided Arabica only. Um, we're going to, you know, maybe there's room for fine Robusta in the future, but right now what we're trying to do is get people to be comfortable drinking more coffee. Mm -hmm. And Arabica is is the perfect vehicle for that. And so and it's it's working. We have um, a nice, really consistent um, following of loyals, uh, loyal regulars who come in every day. They sit down, have they drink a full big serving of filter coffee or they have an Americano and then they come for seconds. And that's like the real like sign of success for me in that cafe. And so. I think that if we can continue to that sort of push uh, in the cafe, we're succeeding as far as I'm concerned. Um, my partner might, you know, say point to the balance sheet and be like, well, you know, we're succeeding when this number turns black. Um, so, so, you know, difference of opinion, agree to disagree. Uh, Different but, uh, metrics. Yeah. yeah. So for the roasting company, we do have a blend of Robusta and Arabica. And I would say if we are just thinking purely in volume, Robusta is about any given month, 30 to 40% of our total volume. Um, and we do some blends, blending Arabica with Robusta, but we're really trying to put the Robusta out front. And so those blends end up being like 70% Robusta with just a little Arabica for spice. Um, and so one of our blends has uh, a natural process Brazil in there. And then the other blend has a natural process Ethiopia to, to blend with a honey process, fine Robusta, um, just to kind of give slightly different profiles, but something comfortable for the traditional market here. Um, and then all of our other blends are Arabica blends. I, I really didn't want to focus solely on Vietnamese coffees, but I also didn't want to play the uh, how much can you flex game with imported Arabicas. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm doing is treating the Vietnamese Arabicas like imported coffee, like any other um, coffee on the offerings list and using them in the blends as a component. Um, and so all of our blends, most of our blends have a Vietnamese Arabica in it. Um, but you know, that's not, there's no rule in our rule book saying that it has to be that way. So just kind of putting them on equal footing and treating them with like the respect and dignity that I would hope that others would. I have a question. Could uh, you explain to us and our listeners, because the concept of Arabica being like fine, like a finer coffee, because traditionally, uh, yeah, sorry. You said Robusta. Arabica. Sorry, my sure. bad. Yeah. Yes, Robusta. Fine Robusta. Could you explain the difference between what, like the, the classifications of fine Robusta from normal Robusta and sure. Vietnamese Arabica coffee as well? Because like these are, oh, okay. they're still relatively new, quote unquote, new to to many 
people, including, yeah. including, you know, those that have been in specialty for quite some time. Yeah. And I just want to say too, I feel like we all know this, but like Arabica has become this like buzzword in the last like five ish years in the U S that people are learning Arabica and then like anything else is bad. And we're trying to now yeah. like, it's like the whole like, Oh yeah. Fresh roasted coffee is the best. And now we're like, okay, well, it doesn't have to be like, you know, totally fresh and maybe yeah. like right out of the roaster isn't the best. We have to like backtrack and like fix these things that we've done. I feel yeah. like Robusta yeah. Talk is another one of those. So. Exactly. Marketers. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, marketing, we have to distill things down to the simplest message and simple isn't always correct, right? Right. Um, but, you know, like Robusta earned a bad re- reputation because it deserved it. Um, <laughs> I love that. Thank you for saying that. Cause um, it, it is not good. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's, you know, and I wouldn't, I, I mean, poor Robusta, it's not your fault. Um, it's, <laughs> it's the humans who were treating you that way. It's their fault. Um, and you know, commodity markets are what they are. They're really trying, it's a race to the bottom, trying to get the lowest price possible, minimum viable product, um, and so the minimum viable product allowed, you know, twice the number of defects by percentage in Robusta as they did commercial Arabica. And so off to like one handicap for Robusta. And then, of course, it's stronger, um, more bitter profile, lower sugar content um, and, you know, less complex organic acids. As far as we know, at this point in time, um, it it you know, it, there things were not boding well for Robusta in terms of, you know, our sensory enjoyment. Um, it's really just caffeine fuel for people who want cheap coffee. And so that's, that's what the market got. You know, you ask for a thing and you get it. And producers had no incentive. Nobody's going to make something better quality if there's not anybody demanding or willing to pay for it. And so uh, for decades and decades and decades, that was the case. And then, you know, some Robusta producers were saying, well, what can we do? And on a small, on a small level, they just started treating it well. They had gone to processing classes and learned how Arabica, specialty Arabica producers do it. And they said, well, maybe we can apply some of this. And um, really interesting, good results. And I'm definitely not going to claim it, that it's going to make your 90-point geisha-loving um, somebody, somebody love Robusta, but it's, you know, again, the diversity of coffee, this is going to be a word you probably get tired of me saying, but diversity of coffee experiences and flavor profiles is my goal. That's what I want. I don't want same everything everywhere. Um, and so embracing these differences and really trying to push something to the best it can possibly be, um, given its own parameters, I think is, you know, a more realistic approach. And so fine Robusta has, if you compare it to a specialty Arabica, I'd say like quintessential specialty Arabica is like a bright wash processed East African coffee. Um, that's what every specialty nerd like us would say is like, yeah, that's my favorite. That's, that's the good stuff. We want everything to be that to be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would say that it's, it, the, it's the polar opposite. This is like the kind of, you know, at times boozy, 
spicy, like even, ooh, the word uh, wood is bad to Arabica, but, um, you know, aromatic wood in the way that whiskey drinkers would use that mm -hmm. term. Um, and, you know, people who like cigars tend to gravitate towards the fine robusta profile here because it contains that sort of depth and complexity um, that specialty Arabica, especially the way that we roast it, um, just doesn't, right? Specialty Arabica tends to have like two or three dominant flavor notes, um, very clear, very precise. This is our goal. That's what we're doing. We're reducing things down to like this quintessence. And um, with Robusta, there's just so much, there's like bombastic, you know, depth and complexity. And so that gets really overwhelming and confusing when you're in that sort of narrow band kind of mindset tasting it. And so I'd say to Arabica's like fruit basket, Robusta is like all of the things that we enjoy about like dark chocolate and, you know, maybe sometimes spicy and savory foods, throw a little salt on your watermelon, that kind of uh, mix and balance of, of flavors. And so um, it's a different experience. Maybe that one uncle that you tried to share your specialty Arabica coffee with who didn't like it, you know, said, oh, wow, that's too sour. That, that coffee tastes fruity. I don't like that. You're like, but fruit is what I want. And um, <laughs> that's probably who the fine robusta is for. Um, and so I, I would say that there's this whole like population of coffee drinkers who just feel like maybe, well, maybe my tastes aren't good enough. I'm not developed enough to, to enjoy or appreciate this specialty coffee. So I'll just keep going to the gas station and drink it and I'll, I'll just slum it. You know, I think that that's the, that's the population that needs to be spoken to in terms of quality coffee. And I think fine Robusta has the best chance to do that. So interesting. Have you tried fine Robusta, Bronwyn? Only on a cupping table. Mm, I've never yes, had Yes, only on a cupping table. And it, it is so vastly different. Like, it is like night and day from the Robusta, which tastes like tires, like burnt rubber tires and yeah. phenol. It's like defects. Yeah. So many defects. I do feel like this is interesting because we tried that, like, Birica um, the last episode. Um, and having tried other species at, like, different things, like, mostly for me it's been at, like, Rico serving coffee. But I do feel like in some ways we make Robusta try and live up to the reputation that Arabica has. But when it comes to these other species that um, are, like, lesser known, we give them a lot of permission to be completely different because they're oh, yeah. a different species, but so is Robusta. Like, it, we need, I feel like we need to give it a little bit more permission to be completely different than what we expect from Arabica. And, you know, like, Arabica is part Robusta. Right. I mean, it's definitely, <laughs> like, changed yeah. a lot, of, like, since. But, you know, it, yeah, I mean, totally, it is a different totally. species, you know, at this point. But Absolutely. So yeah. I, I, I think we need to think... be kinder to robusta <laughs> or just you know be more open to the fact that maybe something i don't personally like is something that someone else is going to really enjoy yeah I, I think like on the human level like we somehow we can't accept that like 
I really love the dopest sneaker drop. Did you see it last week? It has bright green and purple, and you've got other people who are like, ew. And like both perspectives are valid. Like there's no way to objectively prove either side right. Right. And and mm-hmm. so the taste for Robusta is kind of the next kind of frontier for us as coffee professionals to try to understand. And I think specialty coffee has trained us to be novelty seekers. And so you've probably heard this, you know, with your um, baby barista trainees, you know, oh yeah, the coffee in San Diego, it was good about five years ago, but everything has just kind of gone downhill. When, if you look at scoring sheets, if you look at every like quasi objective measurement, everything has improved a lot. Um, But it's that person's tastes. They've like leveled up the bar. So that 90 point, you know, whatever coffee that they tasted last week with this special processing method becomes the thing they expect. That's the new bar that everything else has to clear. And so in, in retrospect, they think that like everything else is going downhill in flavor when actually they've just calibrated their tastes on this really wild left turn that, you know, everything else has just kind of continued on the path that's always been going up in quality. And so um, we've gone for novelty. And so when we see these other species, wow, Ray Samosa, that's, that coffee is like pure black licorice. It's weird. It's cool. I like it. Um, it those sorts of things. Eugenioides, you know, like I'm the controversial outlier who doesn't really enjoy it. I, I don't like the taste oh, of yeah. sweetened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got the, that sort of fake sugar sweetness to it that I don't enjoy. Um, it's interesting. It makes me like perk up and I definitely start thinking about it more, but it's not something I enjoy. And, totally. and yeah. And so I think that that's why we give so much attention to these lesser known species because Robusta, oh yeah, that's like 40% of the world's production. Like the lower classes drink that stuff. I don't touch it. Um, so yeah, we don't, we don't give it a second thought. Yeah. Well, thanks for all of that background. That was helpful for me. I feel like oh, great. somebody listening, whoever you are, hopefully that was helpful for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, drink, drink what people would say are, is bad coffee every now and again i know it's really like popular to say you know life's too short for bad coffee or you know whatever people say about it but honestly like even bad coffee is good you know it like as a product itself like the smell and the flavor of coffee generically is good and that's why humans keep going back to it over and over again and um i i like to remind myself that there is such a range Um, And I think if we just lock ourselves into the, I only drink above 86 coffees, that's really limiting. And you're no longer going to appreciate that level of coffee given enough experience in that, in that narrow band. And um, for me, it's, you know, a little bit selfish. It's self-preservation. I want to continue to enjoy coffee. And how do I do that? Mm -hmm. Like I have to keep comparing, you know, what are normal coffee drinkers drinking versus what's possible in this wild universe of specialty coffee. And that keeps me like 
you know, maybe for some it would be spread thin, but for me, that's just like an awareness of like potential and possibility that that's really, you know, compelling for me. What are the biggest changes that you've seen in the general perspective of Vietnamese consumers and professionals since your time in Vietnam? Um, and then what's, what do you feel like is next and how do we, we've kind of talked about this a little bit with this last question um, that Bronwyn asked, but how do we do better as specialty professionals and consumers to build a better market for not only like Robusta that we've been talking about, but um, Southeast Asian coffee in general? Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit. So I'll, I'll start with the Vietnamese consumer. I would say that they're, you know, at this very beginning of the uphill climb, the journey of, you know, better coffee. And um, many people have quickly, you know, like zoomed up to the top and now they only drink the top shelf stuff. And um, that's that's fine. There's that, you know, that segment there. But I'd say on kind of the more general population level, um, Vietnamese consumers are just curious. They want to experience things. And so the more diversity of experience you can put in front of them, the more they can, you know, begin to uh, experience those things. Um, and I would say that that trend is going to continue. I think it's, you know, people are just going to want to try new things. But what I'm starting to see, especially in my cafe and some friends' cafes, is that people are also starting to settle into preference. And so begins with curiosity. You try a lot of things, and then you narrow it down, and then you find a favorite, and then you stick with it. And I think that they're not in quite in the stick with it phase, but they are narrowing down and finding favorites at this point in history. I think is super cool. Um, and then the second part was uh, Vietnamese coffee, like globally, or the reputation? The or... specialty coffee professionals yeah. and specialty consumers. Um, I think that it's starting to get, it just like any emerging specialty origin or an origin that's unfamiliar, it has to go through those stages of proving itself. Um, and in order and just showing itself and so right now we're at the stage of learning what the possibilities are people are you know both legally and illegally bringing in seeds from other places and planting them and just seeing what happens and of course that takes you know decades right. um and so you know we're at that stage of like okay i can't wait to see what this geisha grown in vietnam is going to taste like um you know, but that's at least seven years before we know a thing. And and so we're at that stage where building up awareness, some current produced uh, coffee is starting to show itself as uh, containing a lot of specialty potential or this is good enough to qualify. And those examples are starting to make it out into the broader world. And people are, you know, imp often impressed you know, like, uh, especially some European friends I've had who've tasted uh, fine Robusta on a table of all Arabicas, like, oh, that was a Robusta? That's interesting. That's, uh, um, so I think now is in this, this time of discovery and curiosity about Vietnamese coffees, because it's an unknown. And so anything that comes across your cupping table is going to be kind of exciting and new. 
And so we're kind of discovering um, uh, as a global sort of industry. And I would say that like for people in my network, they're just excited to taste finally like something that I've been talking about all this time. And, um, and so that's part of the excitement. And they're like, oh, wow, this is actually good. Uh, it's like, well, I didn't know I had to say actually. That hurts. <laughs> uh, um, but I think, I think you know, like it's, it's following a very like kind of normal trajectory of, of things. And, you know, now I'm at the, my focus is on trying to find, to build volume and capacity to make it worth exporting. And so I'd say that's like, if I can tie it back to an earlier point, like one really unique thing about the Vietnamese specialty Arabica market is that if you want to taste the best one, you got to come to Vietnam because domestic roasters are paying much higher prices directly to producers uh, to get this coffee that you'd be hard pressed to find someone in the States who wants to pay that much mm -hmm. for an unknown or even a coffee that only cups at an 84.5. Um, and so so in order to discover these things, you kind of have to, you know, like, come on over, visit me, say hi, and we can drink some coffee. That's a great um, excuse. Whereas, you know, like, where's the best Panamanian coffee ending up, you know? Yeah. Uh, Japan, maybe uh, the Middle East somewhere and New York, True. you know, uh, not in Panama. Yeah. Um, and so so that's like a really unique and cool thing about what's going on over here. And, you know, plus I'm a little bit greedy. I want my friends to come here and, and visit me and see stuff and, and get some time with them. I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Come on over. Um, well, that's our last question that we have written, but is there anything else that you want to say about coffee in Vietnam and what you're doing? And I don't know, any um, final thoughts? I, I would just say I'd, I'd underline that last point, like come visit. It's it's worth it. There's uh, really cool stuff to see here, both coffee and not coffee. Um, and, you know, just stay open minded. Like if you typically don't like coffees from name your origin, like continue to try different ones that end up on your table because there might be one that surprises you. And I think just trying to remember that and not locking ourselves into specific bands of expectations um, is is really like kind of the key to enjoyment in coffee i think heard well are you ready for the game before you leave <laughs> so this is the first time we're doing this game it's called sounds of the cafe and i have recorded four sounds for you to listen to and guess what you think they are. Okay. Which is probably good that you have a cafe again because who knows if you. Yeah, would I be might familiar. fall out of cal calibration there. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see how I do. All right. Let me know if you can hear it, and I can also replay it for you if you want. Okay. Okay. Sound one. Sound one. That sounds like a doser grinder. Like the lever being pulled. Uh, play it again. Play it okay. again. Oh man, that could be a couple of things. Is that like 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go with doser lever, even though it sounds a little bit like a pump. That's actually what Brian thought. That's was, exactly was what I thought. Um, it's a puck press. Oh, I yeah, I don't have one of those. I don't use it. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> damn. I thought it would be a unique sound. This sound brought to you by Puck Press. <laughs> puck Press, you want to sponsor us for a little bit? Just let us know. <laughs> yeah, hey, sponsor this show. It's a great tool. We love it. <laughs> okay, here's number two. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Whoa, it sounds like the beginning of steaming water. It's a steam wand. It's clearing, a steam wand? Clearing okay. it out. Yeah, that's, that's oh, exactly clear, what it clearing is. clearing it out. Okay, okay. Okay, here's the next one. I feel like this one's really hard, so sorry. But it had to have a mix. Whoa. Do it again. Yeah. Wow. Okay, it, it could be one of two things. The first thing will be funny and not my actual g guess, but <laughs> okay. um, it sounds like somebody in the 90s tapping the portafilter with a tamper. Um, <laughs> it does. It does. Specifically, it has that 90s quality to it. Um, but I, it sounds to me like a solenoid valve opening and closing. It could so be that much, too, but it so is much not. more like in-depth answer. It's the closing of a Tetra Pak lid. So oh. it's like a soy milk. <laughs> oh, I love okay. I love how yeah. like complicated your answer is for what the, the if thing it, actually <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, Will, I was along your lines. I'm like, this totally sounds like the part of the machine that engages whenever you turn it on. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, but now that you say it, like, of course, hindsight, but hind sound. Um, <laughs> no, that sounds wrong, too. Um, I, now that you say it, I totally recognize, like, that plastic click of the lid. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, anyway, but, but, you know, I didn't recognize it before, so I guess I'm one for four. <laughs> All right, here's the last one. Well, you're one for three, Great. so let's see yeah. if you're okay. two for four. It's especially, it's especially long for what it is. I don't know why it was so long, but... Is that like the, the nitro cold brew running out? Um, it, no. it sounds like something degassing, like when you open, when you open the whipped cream container. Degassing is not a bad train That's of a, thought. That is a better guess than my guess. Okay. And, and, and it also reminded me of maybe an overpressure valve starting to fail. But I'm going to go with, yeah. It is pressure, but it's the, the AeroPress hiss at the end when you hit the, like, air pocket. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, 100% transparency. I don't typically use arrow presses at all oh that's okay that's okay i'm sorry i picked sounds that were not um very you no, picked don't be like sorry that. kathy those were great a, a game that's not challenging becomes boring 
So I'm not trying to make it hard though, so that nobody can guess. So. I thought it was fun because uh, okay, regardless, I, I fun. you piqued my curiosity. Each sound was like, "Ooh, what's that?" So, I know, right? So That's it, what I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't make it any easier or any harder. I think okay. you're doing just fine. Okay, great. Well, if you're listening and you um, got all of this wrong and you feel like it was too hard, let me know. And if you got them all right, let us know and we'll. I don't know. Send you a thumbs up emoji. And we also, have any money for prizes. And if you have <laughs> suggestions for sounds for future yeah. sounds Ooh. of the cafe, send, DMs. Send us sounds. Yeah, send us sounds. <laughs> yeah, you could record or, them yourself and send yeah, them. Yeah, or send suggestions for sounds you think we should put on. What I don't have, what I would love to record, is a um, manual dosing grinder. Click, click, I have click, one. Click. No, no, I just gave it back to the distributor. Sometimes we get uh, equipment dropped in our lab, and Oops. they say, "Play with this for a month. Tell me what. Tell me what you think." And so we had a doser grinder. I was having a good time with that. Amazing. Yeah. If somebody yeah. has one, you want to record it and send me the sound. I want to use it. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Well, you gave me some good ideas for future sounds with your guesses, too. I like that. Excellent. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank you, Will. That was an enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Thank you. Y'all are great, and I can't wait to see y'all sometime soon. Cool. Otherwise. Great to talk to y'all. Yeah. Otherwise, let's all go to Vietnam and visit Will and drink some Vietnamese coffee. Sounds great. Yes. Please come hang out. Thank you again to Will for taking the time to talk about Vietnamese specialty coffee. We hope it piques your curiosity and that you seek out some to try for yourselves. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to talk more coffee with you all. Until then, continue to drink good coffee. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and keep up with us on Instagram at Totally Dissolve Pod. Send us questions or thoughts in the DMs or email us at totallydissolvedpod at gmail.com. Bye Bye for for now. now.